0: After eight years in a place, I felt like it was time to branch out and do something different. I knew that I wanted to do something with flavors. The innovation within flavors is what kind of got me up in the morning. So I really wanted to continue that. What sort of things go on in your mind when you try something new? I need to, first of all, taste something and just be blown away. I need to go, wow. It was sort of uh, one of my former mentors used to call it the goosebump moment, where, you know, the hair would sort of stand up on your arms and you'd just be sort of really blown away.
1: In a past lifetime, Copenhagen's Saloon Island was far different than today the massive infrastructure was home to a huge boat-building operation. But it has since come to represent the bedrock of some of Copenhagen's most respected culinary projects. Started only a few years ago, Empirical Spirits is a self-described flavor company. They're creating new definitions around flavor, and while there are plans down the line... They primarily focus on this concept through the vehicle of spirits.
0: My name is Lars Williams. I'm co-founder of Empirical Spirits. About two years now. Well, I've been a chef all my life. Most recently at Restaurant Noma, which I was there as a, in the capacity of head of R&D for
1: eight years. Empirical Spirits is the brainchild of Lars Williams and Mark Emil Hermanson. Both are faithful alumni of Noma a restaurant never far from the discussion around progressive and innovative ideas around cuisine. From what I gather, there's no shortage of Noma alumni in and around Copenhagen. Of the two, Lars serves in some ways as the frontman for the brand. His powerful presence dominates the room. He's defined by slick back hair, heavily tattooed arms, chunky boots, and an intimidating physique thanks to post-service CrossFit sessions. The Empirical Spirits Distillery is an interesting contrast. The entrance reveals a small showroom filled with books and other objects collected from years of travel. It makes for an intimate tasting environment. Soon after, you see the whole operations behind another set of doors. The first touch point may look buttoned up and considered, but their process behind relatively open doors is at times messy and full of trial and error. From the various conversations I've had with the team, the whole place seems to be bolted on, not necessarily by necessity, but because of an unforeseen growth in popularity, and a knack for tinkering. But from what I witnessed, it's the outcome that's refined and picture-perfect. And everything else? It's not quite as pristine. When you're pushing the boundaries and writing a playbook that doesn't exist, you don't care about how pretty or perfect the process is. For the Empirical Spirits team, this process is part cultural, part scientific, and all parts emotional. Success is when you draw out an emotion or a feeling with that first sip. For Lars, this began very early on with travels around
0: the globe. I grew up in New York, which exposes you to like a very multicultural <laughs> food experience. So I grew up eating Japanese food, Indian food, Chinese food, the whole gamut. And I guess also my grandfather is Norwegian, and so also fishing with him and he did a lot of kind of home preservation and really got to see how food became a primary focus for like cultural representation and cultural pride and was able to like connect people through that. So at all the family gatherings on my mother's side, the food is always like an incredibly important thing. And people would, you know, like look forward to having food that they didn't normally have access to in the States for quite a while. I mean, I also had the good fortune to go to Japan when I was five years old. And I think experiences like that just completely changed the way that you think about things. And um, having exposure to a completely different culture and kind of tasting my way through that culture, I think had a very big impact on me in the same way about um, traveling to Mexico when I was 10, just, I think. The way I began to interact with different places was by tasting different parts of the cuisine.
1: What makes Empirical Spirits unique is its underlying approach towards spirits. They inoculate barley with koji kin spores. This forms their base, known as helena, which is their mother spirit. It's a double-fermented clear koji spirit made from barley koji, pilsner malt, and Belgian saison yeast. This blends eastern with the koji and western fermentation methods to create a smooth base spirit with subtle nutty aromas and a delicate sweet barley character. Koji provides a signature flavor profile that yields a sweet umami and floral note. From there, all of Empirical's other blends are based off of Helena. While traditional spirits companies are rooted in conventional formats such as your gins, whiskeys, and such, Empirical Spirits breaks away from that. Spirits are in the name, but their philosophy and existence is rooted in flavor. If I look around the room right now, like it's, you can see there's like beverages from like Taiwan or like China, all over. So I think that's really interesting. But in, in terms of empirical spirits and, and what it represents, how easy or hard is it to describe? And the reason why it might be hard is because you guys, are, you guys are doing things that most people have never done before.
0: Yeah, I mean, the question I always get when I tell people that I have a distillery is, oh, what kind of spirits do you make? Is it gin? Is it whiskey? And... It's, we make something that's tastes sort of like a gin and something that tastes sort of like a whiskey, but isn't actually either one of those things and, and um, a wide range of things that taste like pe- nothing that people have had before. So however kind of simple or natural it is to me to be pursuing this sort of path that we've chosen, it is a little bit difficult to explain to people, but there's always that, really nice moment when they kind of taste it for the first time and they're like, oh, okay, now I understand.
1: This idea of flavor is meant to be something cerebral but also rooted in a sense of materialism. Not in the sense of consumerism and materialistic things but rather something tangible. The idea exists in your mind but the flavor is material. It's something you can experience and take in. Lars shares how he approaches this concept of sense memory.
0: One of the things that I began to really try and create as a chef when we were designing food, was to be able to transport people through a sense memory. So I always felt that we had achieved a success when we could give somebody something that they've never tasted before that reminded them of a memory from somewhere. You know, if we put together like a, a seaweed and green gooseberry dish, and it would remind people from different places in the world of a childhood memory about being on the beach. And when you could do something sort of like that and connect people through flavor experiences, that's when I felt I was really successful. And that's what we try and do here at Empirical. In the very first beer we did was one with Douglas Fur. My sister has just had two small kids, and so she hasn't had a chance to visit me in quite a while. And I was foraging in the woods just north of Copenhagen it's a beautiful day and crisp and the whole air smelled like pine trees. And this this emerald moss that you're sort of squishing through as you're walking. And I really wanted to be able to share that experience with my sister. And so we made this kind of forest experience spirit. I think that's what's really exciting about working with spirits is that you are able to craft that complex flavor that can connect you to a sense memory and then preserve it in a bottle. The process is quite complex when you look at it from afar, but
1: there's a methodology behind the madness. It's about breaking down a vibe and leveraging flavors. Picture something in your mind, how can you recreate that flavor? That's a space in which Lars and the empirical team operate. In terms of that whole process towards like identifying that sort of flavor journey, how much of that is just sort of your experimentation or is part of it rooted in science?
0: I think in, broadly speaking, people sort of consider alcohol as just a means of getting hammered. And, you know, you'd have like a glass of like a natural natural wine or something like that as like a flavor experience, but, you know, you'd have a gin and tonic at a bar to loosen up. And we're trying to show that alcohol can be consumed in a different way where it is for the flavor experience. It is for that sense memory that you can kind of get from flavor Mm -hmm. and you know it's always it's always needs to stir like an initial reaction you need to feel like a connection to something very often that can sort of take you down a different path and if you sort of begin with one idea and you're looking for the kind of network of flavors that's going to actually create something We did a collaboration spirit with uh, Alex Cortina just recently, and he'd wanted to do something with coffee. We're trying all these different things, and then it was actually, we wound up using coffee chaff, which is like the sort of silver skin that comes off the beans when you're roasting them, because it had this much more like the smell of coffee when someone's just brewing it, as opposed to the the bitterness of drinking it, because that's sort of like a... would be normally considered a waste product. We started looking into like, a, like an intellectual connection. So we've looked into, we wound up making a spirit with coffee chaff, cherry stems, and corn husk. And those wind up becoming like a, like a summer morning in the countryside for me.
1: Earlier, I alluded to how a lot of empirical spirits' early operations seem to be pieced together in ad hoc fashion. The lack of commercial options meant that Lars had to get his hands dirty. He helped engineer some of the critical tools that are foundational to Empirical Spirits' process. It turns out, translating flavor under heat can really alter the end product, but thanks to a special invention, they're able to distill at a much lower temperature. Traditionally, distillation occurs with high heat, but Empirical's vacuum distillation allows this process to take place between 5 and 30 degrees Celsius which allows for the preservation of flavors. Based on your previous career at Noma and then now, what role does innovation in itself
0: facilitate your goals? Well, I mean, technology-wise, we've had to design, we had to design all of our equipment and build the majority of of it ourselves, just because there wasn't existing equipment that would do the job that we wanted. Our stills operate under almost a whole atmosphere vacuum. Mm -hmm. which means that we can do the distillation at 15 degrees centigrade as opposed to more traditional 85 90 degrees centigrade that allows us to use a much wider range of things that we put into brackets as botanicals but that can be fresh herbs pine shoots oysters doing the distillation at such a low temperature means that we don't have uh heat affecting the distillation or the botanicals if we distilled in a normal still fresh herbs it'd wind up tasting like a really horrible vegetable soup whereas we can get these really bright vibrant delicate flavors it also has the benefit of being a closed system so all the very volatile compounds that you normally are normally considered aromas actually get captured back into the alcohol so our spirit then has like a much The bouquet is a much more kind of presence in the spirits.
1: Over the course of my tour, different parts of Empirical Spirits' operations clearly represented different chapters of the company. The smoker out back is unassuming and, frankly, a bit underwhelming. But in the early stages, it was a faithful companion in the Empirical Spirits expansion. One of the biggest takeaways throughout the process is that Empirical Spirits, alongside its decidedly scientific-sounding name, is very much an experiment we all have the opportunity of bearing witness to. Empirical Spirits is redefining what is flavor and where we find it. All the things you've built up in terms of, you know, interest in flavors and innovation, does that also open the door to things that are traditionally not edible?
0: Oh, definitely. My co-founder and I gave a talk at a symposium six or seven years ago. And the, the title of the talk was The Delineation Between Edible and Inedible and um our hypothesis for the talk was that deliciousness was the defining line with the way that we can extract flavors into spirits there's a lot of medicinal herbs for instance where you wouldn't want to ingest a certain amount of them but we can extract the flavors safely and have that be a a, a con- part of our mm-hmm. alcohol but also it depends you know what culture you're coming from in some parts of the world like ants are very common thing mm-hmm. to eat and then some parts of the world it's not so yeah. i noticed that book up there on eating insects and
1: that was one of the ones i wanted to pull down with those too high <laughs> <laughs> when you start approaching your process towards discovery and creating something to the final product like how has that changed for you through
0: experience or has it generally been somewhat the same i think the more experience you have when working with flavor, like the sort of easier it becomes to put together the the jigsaw pieces. The way it sort of feels for me in my mind is almost like a, like a Rolodex of flavors. And as you do it more and more, it becomes easier to sort of pre-sample the flavors in your mind. So if I'm tasting something new that I've never had before, I can actually start running through the flavors that I have had before and kind of matching them. I have like a general idea of what direction I find this interesting.
1: Restaurants may very well be among the last remaining pillars of culture that you can only consume in person. You cannot experience the core of a restaurant from afar, and even the most carefully packed takeout box flown halfway across the world will always fall short. A meal from Lars and his intricate and carefully chosen flavors is nearly impossible to publicly experience today. But its beliefs around flavor, its process, and finally, a spirit's story can still be enjoyed meaningfully the minute you take the top off the bottle. What Empirical Spirits does is allow flavors to be captured and disseminated on a much larger scale, providing they keep up with the production. And I, I recall reading something that you had mentioned where there's greater... Ability to share with the spirit. So like, you know, I could take this spirit and I could bring it back to Hong Kong and, you know, I could share with a friend versus previously you were a chef at a restaurant. Like you actually physically need to be there. Like, how do you look at those two relationships now in terms of you being able to share your philosophy, your insight into flavor?
0: Well, it feels a lot more democratic in a way. Being able to move things to different parts of the world, I think, is a great way to connect people because it's amazing to cook a really beautiful theatric meal for 40 people, but being able to kind of take that same hard work and make something that is transportable is, um, it's, I don't know, it's really exciting and feels very fresh
1: and new for me. As mentioned before, Empirical Spirits and distillery is located in Rife Saloon. There, it counts some of Copenhagen's most interesting outfits as neighbors, including Broden & Build, a brewery and restaurant from Matt Orlando, to which Empirical shares a roof with, Amas, also by Matt Orlando, Lil Bakery, La Bacina, Baby Baby, and Copenhagen Contemporary. While some of these outfits, like Lars, count Noma as their alma mater, the underlying Copenhagen community has united in helping push the narrative of innovation. The simplicity of design around Empirical Spirit's own label and their insight into process represents their commitment to transparency
0: and open source you know, that very open sharing of ideas was something that we wanted to be part of our company as well. I mean, that's kind of why we decided on the very simple label, which is actually something that we had done originally is just for internal purposes. And then looking at how we could just kind of strip everything back to the stark truth of things, it just made sense for that to be our label that we put on the bottles for customers because it has literally like the ingredient list, and if you look at it closely, how to make the product. So we try and be open and share our ideas with as many people as possible. I think that's also the only way that you can move forward in innovations. You're holding on tight to an idea and being secretive about it. You're never gonna move past that and evolve to the next thing, so.
1: As we finished up the conversation, I was looking to understand what was the continual spark that fueled Lars. For somebody who's dedicated a good chunk of his life to flavor, what was the element that fueled his interest for this long?
0: Uh, I don't like to think of myself as jaded. And I think, I mean, Japan as an example in particular is I could go back there and eat every day for the rest of my life and probably be able to discover a new thing every time I ate. But I think... That's also the curiosity, the kind of, that really becomes that sort of childlike curiosity I feel is also part of our DNA here and wanting to explore things and wanting to have new experiences. And why we're excited about doing collaborations with friends in Africa or Brazil. A recent, two weeks ago, I was in the Brazilian rainforest and having those wow moments every time I picked up a fruit. So... For us, it is about an exploration and then kind of like sharing, just wanting to share those flavors with as many people as possible.
1: The childlike curiosity that drove us to understand the world as kids is a focal point of the empirical spirits process. But there's also something at play here. Continual improvement. If you look at the full scope of empirical spirits, it's an almost maniacal approach towards figuring out challenges, tinkering, and exploring never-before-seen places. The world of spirits traditionally falls within well-defined silos that adhere to existing norms. Empirical spirits, just like how its distillery was built, is about tackling preconceived notions, one process, one self-engineered machine, and one flavor at a time.
0: Because, because it's the, the creating something new that I find most exciting. And in the same way that I feel like tasting something new is really exciting. And I constantly want to be pushing myself, pushing the team, pushing our industry forward and trying to improve every step of the way. Even when I was a child, I was always sort of asking why all the time, which is probably quite annoying, but there's no point in taking something for granted and that there's always probably a way to do it better. I mean, I think that's also as a DC in the kitchen, like, You're always trying to improve things to make it taste better, to be more efficient, to have a plate of food go out in the best possible condition to the guest. And so can you get it from the skillet onto the plate, out to the kitchen, out to the dining room, you know, two minutes faster, it's gonna be a much better product. So you're always kind of pushing yourself to try and do better and better.
1: Glad you stuck around. We couldn't find a spot for this, but here's an excerpt from our conversation with Lars about his most memorable flavors. And if you happen to be a native Danish speaker, I apologize for me trying to pronounce Ravsjulun, 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 Ref
0: Ravsjulun?
1: Does <laughs> that sound right? Ravsjulun Island?
0: Well, I guess something that has always stuck with me from childhood would be the... The flavor of smoked fish and I find like a lot of you find sort of permutations of that kind of preservation all around the world. One of the I guess like eye-opening flavor moments that's really stuck with me is the first time I tasted an ant and I was at a, a symposium and uh, Alex Atala Alex was there as well and he kind of has this sort of funny sense of humor. And he comes up to uh, Renee and myself. And he goes, you guys have to try this. And we look into the pot. And it's the color of this bright green color, the color of antifreeze. And floating on top of the liquid in the pot is this layer of giant ants. And we are like, Alex, we're not going to try that. It looks fucking horrible. And he's like, no, no, try one, try one. And so... We finally tried an ant and it was this combination of like lemongrass and ginger and spices. And it just something in my head just clicked where you can find such a amazing, beautiful, evocative flavor and something so unexpected. And the way that you can um, find these things in grasses and tree bark and Spices I think is really missing.